0: Launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your host, Andrew Site. I must be louder and
1: site expert Steven Kabitsa. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is gonna be a bummer. But if they win, it's gonna be a party. Right now. This DJ so funky, man. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the
0: Friday edition of the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. Joining me as always, my partner in crime, Stephen Kabitza. Stephen, we open up week 7 against the Tennessee Titans with another quarterback change, Deshaun Kaiser stepping in for Kevin Hogan after that abysmal week 6 performance
1: against the Texans. What do you think Deshaun Kaiser learned in this week off? I I think he learned I think I saw from Hugh Jackson was he learned kind of how horrific turnovers can be from watching them from the sidelines. He saw the shift in the game, the shift in the momentum. But, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier before the show. I don't think a week off is going to make that much of a difference on the field. I think he's still going to have the same struggles. What do you think?
0: I think it does help to sit out a little bit. Like I've said before, you know, take a look at, I think they made him a highlight reel of his mistakes and made him watch it. So I don't know if that does any good, but at least it helps to see where you're going wrong and how you're negatively impacting the team. So you can build on those things because to be honest, that's what's been losing us the game so far, or at least taking us out of them so early that it's tough to come back from.
1: But do you think one week of Kevin Hogan as a sacrificial lamb is really going to do change much for Kaiser because I I think he should sit out for a while I would I would throw Cody Kessler out there but I know that's oh, not don't happening. jump on
0: that train already no I think Deshaun Kaiser should start the rest of the year at this point from now moving forward I, I don't think it makes any sense to sit him unless he honestly is is just as bad you know it's pretty tough to to be that bad consistently even as a rookie so I, I think he can only get better and it Keep in mind it's only week six. I know it's rough so far, but with with the fact that the Browns are most likely going to have a top draft pick, he's he's pretty smart. So I, I think he knows that his job is pretty much on the line with an impending first round pick, you know, looming in the off season.
1: So speaking of that, impending first pick, second pick, maybe third if they rattle off a few wins. I don't think they will, but don't get my hopes up. Well, let's talk winnable games. No, only kidding. Although this weekend's game is probably one of the more winnable ones remaining. You think so? I think I think it's one of the most. I don't think I think all their division games, the remaining three, no, nah, not happening. Even the Packers game. I don't. Everyone's like, oh, Aaron Rodgers is out, but they're still the Packers.
0: It'll. I'm starting uh, Brett Hundley against you this week in fantasy. So hopefully he. I forgot he we're plays playing. Well. Yeah, we're enemies this week. But
1: I picked up josh mccown to replace aaron Rodgers, so hoping for a big day for my favorite quarterback
0: <laughs> a battle of josh josh mccown versus brett Hundley in fantasy football what a uh what a darling matchup scenario. we've got uh no i think the tennessee titans are, are a very good football team i know their secondary struggles a little bit and their record necessarily doesn't show uh, how good they are but i mean you look at the two-headed monster and demarco murray and derrick henry those guys are bigger than <laughs> i think maybe joe schobert both of those guys so it's just going to be a tough I know the Browns are good against the run but I think it's just going to be a tough day in the middle of the field because that's what Marcus Mariota does best
1: I do feel bad because in my fantasy lineup I have DeMarco Murray at running back this week and then I had the Titans D on the bench and I just kind of looked around over my shoulder and sub them in this week because I think it's going to be an interception show I don't want it to be. That's the key, I think, when we talk about this. We don't want the Browns to lose or do bad. It's just, it's what's been happening, and I, I don't think a week off. It's uh, the week off helps Deshaun Kaiser in theory. He now has seen what's going wrong. Has had some time to, you know, do more review as opposed to just all right, Monday morning back at it. No time for reflection, really. I, he knows what he's doing, but it just seems like it's instinctual with him. He just makes bad throws he has a big arm and he just hasn't really learned how to hone it in i don't think q jackson has really done much with him no he was he was inaccurate at notre dame too i mean chip kelly or not chip kelly
0: brian kelly even said you know before the draft that this guy needed another year in college and that team's doing quite well in notre dame now and they were four and eight last year with kaiser at the helm but we're seeing a lot of the same issues with really no improvement And, and and we actually saw it digressed from week one. I think we mentioned it before. I mean, the leads were getting worse. They're not staying in the game at all. And I think it's just directly correlated to those turnovers. So if he eliminates those, I mean, he he's at least keeping us in games at that point.
1: It's not even turnovers in general. It's it's like if he throws an interception midfield and a route gets jumped or he gets blindsided and fumbles. That's one thing. It's the turnovers inside the 10 yard line. Like it's almost now when they get in the red zone, with him, so obviously not really against the Texans, that was just a garbage game. But when he, when Kaiser gets in the red zone, I expect the worst. Yeah. And it's not a good feeling. I felt this way at the end of last season, too. And that's, that's the disappointing part. You know, I think part of the
0: progression that we wanted to see with this team, and we talked about it even in week one and probably moving forward, is just the, just the ability to move the ball. They have somehow found a way to be completely anemic on offense. They have a, a Solid offensive line and good running game that's just not being utilized. I mean, take a look at what they're doing over in Chicago. Mitchell Trubisky takes over. Jordan Howard's getting more carries. I think 55 carries in the last two weeks. I think that's, that's the way that this team needs to be run versus trying to run an offense that's making it harder on your quarterback.
1: I want to touch on Mitch and the Bears really quick, just to point out how sad the state of Browns football is in Northeast Ohio. This past Sunday, when Mitch picked up his first career win, me and my parents, I was streaming the game, and we had more fun and excitement watching the end of that game, seeing him pick up his first victory. Obviously, because he is from Mentor, where me and you both are from, and seeing him win. Even my parents are more excited than watch, and then as opposed to watching the Browns be down thirty three to three with Kevin Hogan out there, just unfairly put put in a tough situation against a really good
0: team. Well, it just nothing's getting better. There's no source of optimism. There's nothing. There's, I mean, there's a few positives, but they're not really substantial things to improve on. You know, we we talk about how good of a playmaker Duke Johnson is. Well, unless Hugh Jackson gives him the ball, it doesn't doesn't really make too much of a difference. He, Miles Garrett is great, but he can dominate all game long, and the Browns are still down 33-3 to last week. So I get that there are bright spots, but again, on the offensive side of the ball, where Hugh Jackson is supposed to be this offensive wizard you know, he did so much with andy dalton and aj green and i understand we don't have that but we he's got to be able to create some sort of offense to maximize or at least make it easier on this rookie quarterback because right now i think they throw they use the middle of the field the least out of any nfl team and you can't with a rookie quarterback that's the opposite
1: of what you should be use, utilizing Here's my problem with the whole QB guru thing. And like you said, he worked well with A.J. Green and Andy Dalton. Kevin Hogan is not turning into Andy Dalton because Hugh Jackson's coaching him. And none of these receivers are turning into anything remotely resembling A.J. Green. So you can say it's like, oh, he's the QB guru. He worked well with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton always had the potential to be a solid quarterback above average. And A.J. Green was brought there to be a star receiver. Hugh Jackson can only do so much with these players he's been given. And I agree with that. He's not going to turn to show. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser could, could be a great quarterback. We don't know, but someone like Kevin Hogan or Cody Kessler, Hugh Jackson can't just make them great. How does, how does that change though? So
0: I understand they need wide receivers, but odds are they're probably going to take a quarterback in the top of the draft. So let's use that assumption the second pick by the Texans is probably going to be, I'd say in the 18 to 22 range, hopefully not Either 22
1: <laughs> low playoff or miss playoff range. Yeah.
0: And at that point, you're not going to get the big time receiver. If there is one, I'm not sure who's really out in this class. I know it's probably a, a decent class. It usually is, but they're not going to be able to get that top five wide receiver. If there is one, you know, unless they forego the quarterback and, and, I don't think this organization is in, in a position to punt again at the top of the draft on, on the quarterback position. And the frustrating thing is Corey Coleman was brought in to be that big-time receiver. I think from the time they drafted him, he was. they counted on him to be this number one, but he only had really one good year at Baylor. You know, he wasn't – he won the, the – what was it? The – Bolitnikoff Award. Bolitnikoff. He's a Bulitnikov Award winner. But, again, one good season in an offense – that's pretty much just run straight down the field, and it's a, a first read. You're going to be open. It's a little puzzling as to why they had to trade back twice to go get him. I feel like Corey Coleman might have even slipped like even farther than when the Browns drafted him. You know, I,
1: as a parallel with what you're saying with the Baylor offense, it's like it's like when we were at Bowling Green and the quarterback was Matt Johnson, who put up big time stats in that run and gun offense, five wide every single time. No huddle. You're gonna put up three, four hundred yards a game, but and the receivers had some pretty great stats. But it's like hitting like in baseball as a parallel. It's like hitting forty home runs in every game is in Colorado. You have to break it down. You can't just say, "Oh, we won the award. He had all these great stats and stuff." It's like, okay, well, is he gonna match up against? Richard Sherman, well, is he going to be able to yeah. take on top defensive backs?
0: If you're going to put up 70 points a game, you know somebody's got to put those points on the board, and they're they're not a, a running team. So, I, I mean, I understand it. I understand why they drafted him, but he also hasn't really done anything to to change our minds outside of a few pedestrian games. I think it's like six six catches for 66 yards when he got hurt. He had one good game against the Ravens last year, but aside from that he just hasn't showed that number one potential and he's been hurt more often than not. So it's just another, I wouldn't say black Mark, but just another opportunity that this team missed on. And I don't see any giant names that are probably leaving their teams from a wide receiver standpoint in the off season, but who knows? I mean, anything can change. The Browns have a ton of money, but like we've said before, those kind of players don't make it to free agency.
1: I want to move to our favorite topic of discussion, which we touch on every week. We touched on it Monday, but as every day goes on, the pressure keeps mounting. Mm -hmm. Do you believe Hugh Jackson is in trouble of being fired either during the year or immediately after the season? As of right now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think once they go to London, that's a popular, uh, popular, it's almost like the Black Sunday (laughs) of NFL, you know, right after the season or Black Monday, it, it's, if, they go into, if they come out of London 0-8 <clears throat> heading into the bye, that's, uh, I think that'll be Jimmy Haslam's tipping point. So, but who, I, who, they don't have an offensive coordinator, though. Can you fire Hugh Jackson? So like, You almost can't. I, I understand that you can't, and I don't think Greg Williams wants to coach this team. But the more that this goes on, I know Doug Marie's had a, had an article saying that there are positive things about this Browns team. I just don't see. I don't see how they can recover from passing up on Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz. I mean, they they have to hit on one of these rookie quarterbacks. But again, you're starting a rookie quarterback. So are they going to set up another rookie to fail with this cast of bandits? Basically, I, I don't trust the front office. You know, putting
1: talent around any quarterback that's here. To be honest, so that also touches on the point of you think. As of right now, both Hugh and Sashi Brown and his group will be gone.
0: I don't think it's going to be in London. I mean, you can't – if anything, That'd they would insane. add somebody. I don't – it's kind of weird, the dynamic there. I, I don't know if adding somebody is smart because unless Sashi is, like, getting rid of his 53-man power. I, I don't know if they're, they'd be able to check their egos and, and do that, but – if they added somebody, I think that would be more, more of a step in the right direction versus firing people because it's going to
1: happen at the end of the year. Like you said, there's no real replacement at this point. It is odd, too, because Sashi Brown was, I mean, as the lawyer for the team, was always big on salary cap things. He has a good skill set, but it was like you gave a guy with one skill set power over a football team that he probably wasn't qualified for in the first place. Oh, he wasn't qualified
0: for it. That's what You said skill set, and I, I envision you know, being a scout at some point or having some sort of front office experience besides. Yeah, or at least negotiating make him a contract. scout
1: to see how he does first.
0: Yeah. Th- they surrounded him with guys who have been around, but even then it's Andrew Barry, twenty eight years old, coming from the Colts, who as we know, are the uh, the the epitome of of knowing how to evaluate talent well. And now they got Greeks in the front office too. Yeah. I mean, you're taking guys who have failed in their previous jobs and trying to make them into you're trying to turn poop into gold, and it's not <laughs> its not working. Like, I think we've said it before, but if you were to ask me, I think when we talked about this when the season started, like we thought this analytics thing was good, and now that we're saying it out loud, we're almost sounding crazy that we let a lawyer and a baseball guy run this team right into the ground.
1: <laughs> My view on that is, I mean, I've said it before in the podcast, but really – If you go into the season thinking things are going to be doom and gloom, it's like you might as well not even watch. So I'm completely fine with saying, you know what? At the beginning, like we're behind this because we're not saying – like we didn't say this is going to work. We're banking on it and then four weeks later, this is stupid, blah, 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 like a lot of uh, hot take people on the internet and television. But we're just saying we believed in it because it's – or at least let me know if I'm projecting my views on you, but we're saying we, at the time we believed in it because it's all we could do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you knew they weren't going to fire him after one year and we honestly didn't think that they would have to get to the point where they'd consider firing them after year two. I mean, they've said all along that twenty nine twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen 2018, 2019 is the, is the year to do it. And as much as I hate what's going on right now, if they kept everybody around, It wouldn't be a bad thing because they're not. It's not like they're picking like bad like players who are out of the league, like Johnny Manziel, Justin Gilbert, or guys that are just not dressing at all. Like these guys are playing and playing pretty well. I just think it's that quarter, like not being able to move the ball on offense, that puts this team in at such a disadvantage on both sides of the ball. Whether it's field position, I mean, time of possession, being able to run the ball. The, the lack of consistency from the quarterback position is the biggest is the most glaring issue that and the red zone turnovers.
1: Now that makes sense. My thing I agree it has like if it changes but they keep like Jimmy Haslam said oh it's going to be 2018 2019 but what's going to change between now and the beginning of next season that that they're going to go from a winless one or two win team to six or seven. I just don't see anything with this roster and the plan they've been using, like, are they going to bring in another rookie quarterback? Are they going to yeah. bring in more rookie receivers?
0: No, I think uh, I think Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold would probably be the answer to that question in terms of what would change or what would make them a six seven win team. That for the longest time, and again, Deshaun Kaiser might show in the next ten weeks or nine weeks, however he many he could weeks go, go off and be great. He, yeah, he could string together a few games. You know, that's the one thing we've missed from this team is that they've never really had a game where they've just been like, oh, this is what we've wanted to see the whole time. You know, yeah, they slack off a few weeks, but even the, the Indianapolis's, the San Francisco's, I mean, they're showing signs of what they want to be. They just don't have the talent to necessarily do it, and we don't see that from this team.
1: There's another option to improve this team that I've seen floating around Brown's Twitter today and throughout the week, and it's, I think it's crazy, but I want to ask your opinion. I don't know if you've seen it. Some people are suggesting the Browns make a package deal of draft picks and trade for Andrew Luck, given the Colts would want to keep Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback. Would you be down for a deal for Andrew Luck, given his injury history and the fact that he has no timetable to come back?
0: Yes. 100%.
1: I would also be fine with
0: that. Trade both of them away right now.
1: I think it's crazy, but I'd be fine with it.
0: It's not crazy. I mean, the dude is a bona fide quarterback. I understand he can't stay healthy, but put him behind this offensive line and you sign a few wide receivers. I think he would make Kenny Britt look like, an, like a pro bowler. As bad and as also, Kenny Britt is.
1: You just say, all right, Andrew, not you, Andrew Luck, say, all right, nothing until you're healthy. No workouts, no nothing. Just get healthy.
0: Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything this year. I mean, next year, you could even draft a. Oh, I guess we wouldn't have any draft
1: picks. But was it the both first rounders, I think, that. I believe it was both first rounders. Okay. And it's, no, I didn't almost, hear but that. it's going against the philosophy of this team because I imagine if they made the trade luck stayed hurt and then Saquon Barkley goes to the Colts and becomes a superstar. It's, but I mean, those are the risks you have to take. Yeah. I mean, the Browns are not going to get Saquon Barkley and whatever quarterback they want anyway.
0: I, I think that's kind of a pipe dream, but I, I'm willing to do anything to get a quarterback that,
1: that moves the foot or that just wins games. And this goes back to our very early episodes of the podcast that we're too scared to listen to. Um, to hear how we sounded we would always say oh well, like would you be fine if the Browns spent 20 million on Kirk Cousins or Garoppolo and we just said yes because it's better than the alternative basically of drafting a rookie quarterback every year and throwing him on the field to fail and at least if they had an experienced guy they'd win at least four or five games and right now you need improvement for one in 15. I think you could win quite a few games if there was
0: competent quarterback play because the defense isn't I mean, it's not good, but it's not as bad as it was last year. The big difference I see on that side of the ball is that I think they're one of the best run defenses in the NFL, which is great because we haven't been able to do that since we've came back into the league. However, they're really vulnerable in the middle of the field, and I don't know, if you have a quarterback that just keeps them off the field, we saw what happened in Pittsburgh when you're actually able to move the ball. You know, the defense defense is a little bit more fresh in the fourth quarter, and I think that's desperately what we need at this point versus being blown out 33-3. to
1: Yeah, I believe they've led. I think the Browns have led this year for five minutes, and that was against the Jets. Five minutes in six games.
0: The slow starts are just, it's miserable. I, if I was an opposing team, I would defer every single time because you basically know you're going to get the ball in four or five plays. Yeah, and the, against the Colts, they got a first down and then three and out. It's... Just find ways to get the ball into Duke Johnson's hands. I, Eight touches last week. Every time he touches it, even Kirby Wilson said every time they touch it that he, he's a, a threat to take it to the house. So why are you not calling more plays for that guy? And getting Dave, Joku on the field. He was yeah. less than 40% of the plays. He has three touchdowns. The Browns need all the touchdowns they can get, so keep him on the freaking field. What, what game was it where they had the, the, the rub routes and all those pass interference penalties?
1: Week two or three? That is the last game.
0: That's the last game I remember where there were. I don't know if it was designed rollouts, but either way, it was. uh, You know, someone running across the middle of the field with a catch and run opportunity versus all these out routes, seam routes. I mean, if you don't have the wide receivers to make plays or a quarterback that's accurate, why are you trying to put him in these situations? That's a that's hard for a veteran quarterback, let alone a twenty one year old rookie.
1: And that was the problem with against Houston. Kevin Hogan making his first career start. Hugh Jackson's called a lot of sideline comeback routes, which is a hard throw to make, and he got picked off several times on the same thing. And you have no receivers that can create separation. Yeah, they're running with the cornerback. Not, they're not like getting any separation. They turn around, and it's just jumped every time. And, and you, it's ridiculous. You can't blame the receivers because they're just bad. <laughs> like uh, no, you can blame them because you can blame them for. I'm saying. It's like, what do you expect when you, like, you put these guys on the field? Like, what's going to happen? It's, it, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I mean, teams like
0: Atlanta and Green Bay, I mean, they find these guys out of nowhere. And I, I get that you have Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan, but it, it it doesn't take a genius to find decent wide receivers. There's so many teams across the NFL that just have a, a wide receivers that play well. And maybe it's due in part because they have quarterbacks that can complete the ball to them. But, at some point, the Browns have to stumble upon a guy, and they did back in 2013 and last year, I guess, with Terrell Pryor, but they let him go. So
1: oh, he's not really lighting the world on fire in Washington. But I, my, like that's the thing. People say, "Oh well, him, he, he's doing poorly in Washington. That's a good thing for the Browns." So he still would have been our number one. Well, he could come back. Maybe if he sucks, then the Browns will take him back. And I'd rather have, I'd rather have his money, or I'd rather have Kenny Britt's money. Have gone to Pryor instead of Britt because at least Pryor would dress and be a locker room captain or something. Britt is just pointless out there. That guy, he's laughing in the locker room,
0: smiling, dancing in practice. Like, and, and I think part of that goes back on Hugh Jackson because there's never a time where I, I feel like he's upset with his players or he's upset at the situation. Like he's always just like, yeah, this is we want to get better, we want to win, we don't like to lose. Well, no shit. Okay, Every no one no one likes to lose. Everyone wants to win. So stop saying that. It's, it's a given. No head coach is going to go up there and say that they wanted to lose a football game. But at some point, you've got to get fired up and motivate your team because it looks like they're just, they're okay with losing. And I'm, I'm not okay with that as a fan.
1: I think he's in the mindset of, it's t- tough because he's like almost in the mindset that Brett Brown was with his Philadelphia. Philadelphia 76ers, where it's like they know they're going to be bad, so it's just stay positive. But even they, like, played well. They just couldn't like, close. The Browns are just – they show up, and the game's over in the first 10 minutes.
0: And how does that – that, I think that goes back to game planning. Like, how were they being prepared during the week – this lack of execution early on, it's, it's almost like they take two quarters to get ready, and then the second half, they're like, oh, okay, what, let, well, I'm ready to play now. What's the score? And they look up, and it's, <laughs> they're down three touchdowns. It's too late at that point. I, they need to find a way to get big plays early on and just build a rhythm, build some momentum, and not have it be taken away by a red zone turnover. That's, a, that's the only thing that I want from this
1: week, the only thing. And yeah, no red zone turnovers isn't a crazy request either. It, like should never happen. Marcus and Mariota, I think, has thrown the least
0: red zone interceptions, or maybe zero red zone red zone interceptions. You'll have to fact-check
1: me on that, but it's very, very low. You know what's crazy, too, just with this whole the front office and everything? The Chiefs, who are the best team in football right now, arguably I'd say there, um, they have Mitchell Schwartz and Cam Irving on their line. Best offense in football. Those two guys, Cam Irving, they moved him the guard. He's playing well. Mitchell Schwartz, one of the highest-rated tackles in the league. Alex Mack, obviously still good. And then I, the I money goes to Brock Osweiler.
0: I mean, that doesn't. I don't think Alex Mack. Alex Mack was going to sign here anyway. Mitchell oh, he Schwartz. Was. I think he
1: was gone. Yeah, he was gone. I'm just saying, it shows like great quarterback and great running back play and receivers. It just makes you look better too. To lighten the mood. Not at all. Let me get a score prediction out of you for this Sunday's game. Well, let's start off with the other ones first. Well, that'll brighten the mood a little bit.
0: Let's go. What do you have a lock this week in uh in the NFL? A lock, and
1: I will not take the Titans. <laughs> I so I haven't made my picks yet, but I've been looking, and there's a lot of we, on, where we do our picks on CBS. The percentages sometimes I think are misleading, but yeah. I'm gonna go. My lock will be. This might be the same as yours. The Cowboys over the 49ers.
0: Yeah, that's mine.
1: Just because it's the, like there's a lot of games with the, like, the Saints against the Packers, but you never know which Saints team is going to show up, and the Packers are at home. Maybe they designed the offense for Hundley, but if that's your lot, we could have the same lock. Yep, they'll be 0-7 with, just with the Browns. And they're just bad. Upset, another tough one.
0: I am going to go with tonight's game actually. I'm taking Oakland at home over Kansas City. I think it's gonna be a high scoring game, but I think uh, I think Oakland's pretty desperate and they need a win, so I think they're gonna come out
1: firing. What about you? So in the percentages, Baltimore's ten percent at Minnesota. So I know it's a tough place to play, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna believe in the Ravens. I'm gonna take the Ravens as my upset over the Vikings before the Vikings go to London and take it out of the Browns. That's interesting. I think the, I mean, the Ravens
0: all they can do is run the ball, and the Vikings are pretty good against the run. So, I don't know. I don't. That's like if I were to not watch a game, it would totally be that one. I guess I feel like it'd be really, really boring. Versus the Browns game, which will probably also be boring. So, but and
1: now for the fun part: Browns
0: Titans. Uh, I think it's going to be a control. I think this is the game where the Browns kind of open up on the ground. So I think it's going to be relatively low scoring because I think the Titans are going to be able to run the ball as well despite the Browns' good rush defense. So I'm going to go 24-13 Tennessee.
1: It's always tough predicting a Browns score because you have to account for the 14 points of garbage time touchdowns, although we were close with our Texans prediction. Yeah, I'm going to go 27-17, not really close throughout. Browns will get their late scores. Marcus Mariota will take the fourth quarter off. The fourth quarter off. I mean that's not a uh that's not a big lead. They'll put it they will take him out. It'll be easy. Are they home against the Packers? I believe they are. Probably. I don't maybe that's the game that they'll win. <laughs> Oh, it's good. if
0: they win one, I guess that's fine. But again, they just need to show improvement. It's just some signs of progress. They have individual positive things like players, and but there's nothing really cohesive that we've seen that leads us to believe that this team's moving in the right direction. And that's, I, I think, that's where both of the both of our frustrations stem from.
1: And they can't just win one game again, because Hugh Jackson said he's going to jump in Lake Erie if they do. Imagine if they, if they win one game, Hugh Jackson jumps in Lake Erie, and then they fire him immediately after. Because <laughs> uh, he doesn't have to jump in if he's not the coach anymore. It might happen.
0: So, But I think that just about does it for this week's episode. Hopefully the Browns can pull out a win on Sunday. We'll both be watching, and we'll record right after for your pleasure on Monday morning's episode. With that being said, this is the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Andrew Sipes, signing off.